Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with James Harkin, Anna Tashinsky, and Andrew Hunter-Murray. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is Andy. My fact is that the road network in Cornwall was probably not created by elephants. <laughs> mm. Really? Because that's slightly at odds to what you said a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, it though. is slightly, and quite isn't it? Length as yeah. well. It was quite long. So is it, was, was this line exposed because of what I said, that the roads are far too narrow to allow an elephant to pass through it? It's not, no. Right. So this is just a little bit of inside baseball, uh, which is about that fact that I said, that the roads in Cornwall were created by elephants, and which turns out to have been published on April the 1st. Mm. And um, it's not true, and I fell for it. <laughs> and the slightly complicated factor is that the episode that it went out in went out on April the 1st. <laughs> Can't we just pretend it was an April Fool's on our part? I seriously considered it, but yeah. I I wasn't allowed to. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that your actual fact this week? It's not my actual fact. Should we get to that one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, right. good. Is this one right? <laughs> well, let's find out in two weeks. <laughs> my fact this week is that in 1954... Derbyshire Cricket Club tried drying out its pitch with a jet engine. Doesn't sound right. No, doesn't sound it. What's interesting is a few years later, uh, Yorkshire Cricket Club used an elephant to suck up the water from the pitch. Oh, my God. Uh, No, this is amazing, isn't it? It's fun. It's it's a cricket pitch drying innovation which hasn't stood the test of time. It's not... You don't get a jet engine to hover over laws these days. But um, this is from a brilliant piece that was published in The Guardian by Simon Burnton about the history of cricket pitch drying, which obviously, see that... Click straight on that. <laughs> and it was about all these gadgets that have been tried out over the years. And one of them was... The jet engine was quite new at the time. It, it's like using, I don't know, nuclear fusion now. To try it, out. it was it was a relatively recent innovation. I don't think... Have we even cracked nuclear fusion? I think if that's the first thing we use it for, that's going to be quite an odd decision. The rest of the world's going to be looking at England going, Jesus. They didn't bring a full jet, though, did they? They brought an engine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, they rigged up an engine over... They strapped it to a lorry, and it was a Rolls-Royce engine, which they'd used in a plane called the Gloucester Meteor, which was one of the first British jet engines. Um, Christ, that lorry, though, must have been pacing it down the motorway to get there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Did it work? It worked. Um, It dried it out for eight minutes. When when Rolls-Royce were contacted by... um, It was actually someone from Lancashire Cricket Club who contacted Rolls-Royce saying, hey, why don't we do this? They said, well, it's going to use 400 gallons of fuel an hour, and it'll probably... Bake the turf of the cricket pitch. It's not going to be very good. So they tried it out at Derbyshire because it was the nearest club to the Rolls-Royce factory, whatever. So they tried it, dried it out for eight minutes, worked like a charm. And as far as I can tell, I don't think it was done again. Right. Mm-hmm. No. But Because um, of all the fuel. But they, they saved all that fuel by picking the nearest club to the Royal Royce Factory. <laughs> well, this guy was called Jeff Howard, wasn't he? That he was a secretary of Lancashire. And um, he said that if you can get play restarted um, using the Jets, then it'll be fine because it won't matter if the cost is £100, which in modern days is thousands of thousands, because if people come to see cricket, then it's worth it. Mm. And Jeffrey Howard, he was really interesting. Um, his grandfather was the guy who invented Garden Cities. So, you know, oh. like um, Letchworth and all that kind of stuff. Wellin. Wellin, yeah, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> so he was the grandson of that guy. And he was the uncle of Eunice Stubbs, the actor. Ah, yes. And the great uncle of the man who wrote the theme tune for Two Pints of Lager and a Packet of Crystals. It's called Christian Henson. What a dynasty. <laughs> <laughs> What a, like, what a batshit family gallery they must have in the ancestral home. Like, that's the cricket guy, that's the city guy, that's the two pints of blood and a bag of the Chris guy. That's you to stop. Amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Can I just, with, when you say they use jet engines, which bit? Is it the sucky bit or the blowy bit? In, mm. in what way did they use a jet engine? Oh my God, I don't know which way up it was. Blowy. Oh, it, it must have been the blowy, blowy bit. Yeah. They, yeah. they, they, they were firing va- it down rather than... Sucking it. it up, yeah, yeah. definitely. Because they do, they do both, don't they? Impressively, so you never know. And actually, I read somewhere that um, in in half a second, the power of the suction in a jet engine could hoover an entire four bedroom house in half a second. <laughs> half a second. That is. No. What's well, so it's my cleaner taking three hours? <laughs> Back to more problems with my cleaner. <laughs> 
spin-off show. I really shouldn't um, wash my dirty laundry here, but if she did it, I wouldn't have to. <laughs> that surely implies there's kind of a market for a, a Hoover, which is shaped like the front door of your home and just drives around plugging into your yeah. front door. Well, of course, that's what used to happen, didn't yeah. they? Hoovers yeah. used yeah. to be, we might have said this, but Hoovers used to be um, on the back of horse and cart, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, so you yeah. used to, they used to wait outside and you'd put it through the window, wouldn't you? Like a big, yeah. the big hose and you'd sort of Hoover kind of that like way. an elephant's trunk. Exactly like an elephant. I wouldn't risk that, Andy. I can. I, I think if you did do the front door um, option that you've suggested, you would suck all of your furniture and inhabitants of the home into it as well. well. There's, there's obviously a net in front of it, Anna. It's sucking out I dust, see. and you just pick your belongings out of the net <laughs> and spend two but to three days tidying your if house. If you have any belongings that are the size of a speck of dust, <laughs> you're screwed, right? Your pollen oh, yeah. collection's gone. <laughs> um, this this article that you found, Andy, it's mm. amazing because it it is a genuinely really good article and it just seems that there have been so many different innovations trying to work out how to dry cricket grounds and they've come up with great ideas but they all just seem to have just one major flaw <laughs> that ruins it for them so there was this one idea which was using a new patented uh, drying roller mm-hmm. and it was it was really good it got 75% of wetness from the top of the turf off it was, it was really useful only issue it left the entire pitch jet black Every time it did no it, way. which is okay. not useful for a cricket That's ground, right, isn't it? If you change to a white ball, yeah, possibly. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's really funny. Um, they also tried giant washing up sponges, didn't they? In I think in the 30s, they just designed these massive washing up sponges where two men would stand on them and it would absorb. Oh, yeah. And the interesting thing is you kind of get those today. I was yeah. reading about puddle pillows. Yeah. They're cool, aren't they? They're you amazing. can buy um you can buy a pack of about 12 for about 120 quid if you're interested. And um they're really fun. They use them mostly for baseball pitches and it's what you'd imagine a big pillow and you plop it down on a big puddle and then you lift it up again and the puddle has vanished. Wow. Where's it gone, Anna? Where's it gone? <laughs> it's magic. That's really cool. Yeah. I think they just mostly, when I watch cricket, they tend to get a big rope and just drag it around the pitch. I don't know how that works, they? but yeah, that's how they do. Is that maybe whipping off the dew? I don't really know. I've never understood why they do it, but they all do it, so it must work. That's Weird. so interesting. For, yeah. for the water? Or is the water, it... like the outfield, they tend to just drag a rope along, I guess. Wow. Very interesting. Maybe yeah. it's the standing water that they're getting rid yeah. of. Because they try get... certain things. There was in T20, in, uh, in 2020, T20 International, in fact, so between India and Sri Lanka. T60, basically. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's what I meant. Um, they used a hairdryer and a steam iron. There was footage of Not the groundskeepers using a hair, no way. a physical hairdryer to dry <laughs> wet patches of the ground. That's so funny. It's like when you get a wet patch on your trousers just before you're about to go out and you're like, how am I going to get rid of this wet patch? And you just have to try everything. It's either going to be the hairdryer or the iron, depending on which bit of the trouser. Why is one patch, not your trousers, but why is one patch of the grounds wet? Is there one tiny cloud? Yeah, it's like in the Truman Show where it just picks (laughs) one little spot. Um, You know, sports pitches are all tilted. Have was... you never seen sports on TV where the whole thing is I've about a wondered. 20 degree angle? Always, why are yeah. they playing on a hill? Wouldn't That's why they call easier? it 2020. It's the 20 degree angle. <laughs> of well, the Lords game. is famously tilted, isn't Lords it? Lords is very tilted. And in fact, I think at Lords, don't they say that if you're standing on one end of Lords, then your head is lower than the, the field at the other that end? Right? That's pretty right. sure. Is that true? Yeah. yeah. But that's just a, a cock up. Um, from, they built it in the wrong place. That's insane. I used to play football. When I was at school, I played football for the school team and we played against this prep school Mm. and they had a football pitch that was on I would say in my memory it was about a 45 degree angle (laughs) perhaps it was a bit less than that Mm. but it just meant because we were kids like we we didn't really know how to play football properly so everyone just used to chase after the ball the ball would then always end up at the bottom of the hill just with 22 kids just kind of mauling after it like they were Play rugby amazing. Was it like that? It was like the house vacuum where the parents would have to come and scoop their kids <laughs> out of the big net at the end. At the end. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, Emma, you were saying. Sports pitches are meant to be slightly tilted mm. for drainage to stop them getting wet. Right. So they're either crowned, which is when they've got a tilt, oh. the high point is in the middle. Brilliant. Um, or they're just tilted on a side slope so that it all drains to one side. Oh, so, like in a football pitch, for instance, the crown runs from one goal to the other, like a ledge. And oh, they're supposed to be. So you're always be... shooting downhill or up, no. uphill. 
you're it's downhill to the sides. Oh, okay. So it's like a road. It's like the camber on a road. Yeah. It's like the camber on a road, exactly, mm. between one goal and the other. And then the sides of the pitch are between 12 and 18 inches lower than the middle of the pitch. Oh, wow. Isn't that cool? That is cool. And that's why when you look at the edges of the pitch and like around where the subspensions are, it's often a lot muddier and harder to um, drain because right. that's where all the water collects. Wow. That's, that's really cool. cool. I didn't know that pitches, football pitches have underfloor heating. Throughout the pitch, under grass heating, yeah, uh, all Premier League ones do for sure. Wow, right? I mean, that's so if you know about football, you definitely know that. But if you don't know about football, like me, yeah, it's <laughs> mind blowing. They've got it's mostly electric wire, isn't it? To yeah, because you know how they play football in winter. Yeah, yeah, it's so that they don't get cold off due to the snow. Mm. It's not oh, to warm was, their feet. I thought it was no. to help the grass grow, as opposed to help uh, melt the snow. That can help as well. Although they'll have big lights above the grass oh, to help yeah. that grow, grow as well. But it's mostly, I believe, to stop it from getting cold off in winter. I think that's insane. Yeah. I just think, wow, people really like football, don't they? <laughs> 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 yeah, this will surprise you. It's a multi-million pound international sport. <laughs> it? I mean, that's can't good be, be multi-million. Can't be. I think what we're saying it is the heating is playing for itself. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I, so Lords is obviously um, the most famous cricket ground. Mm-hmm. Certainly to anyone who's a non-cricketer, that's the one that I know most. And this is the third Lords. It was in two other venues beforehand, right? Oh, so okay. the original Lords, which was opened up by a guy called Henry Lord was in uh, Marlebone in London. Oh, because oh, they're called the Marlebone Cricket Club, mm. aren't they? Yes, exactly. Uh, that's the official, they, they own the rules of cricket, mm. don't they? Like, if you want to change a rule, <laughs> you can't. They own it. I've never heard of that before. You have before. to ask these dicks in stupid outfits <laughs> yeah. whether you're allowed to. But so um, this guy, um, he set up it in uh, in Marlebone and then it was moved to St. John's Wood um, when he had to change it and then that got moved again to where it currently is and when he moved each time he wasn't impressed with the grass there so they lifted up the turf from the very first Lords oh, moved it to the second one huh. and then when the current Lords that it's in now I think they've changed the turf entirely but certainly when it was set up that was the turf that was then carried over from the second one really? to there as well yeah that's really interesting so what did they do with the grass that was already there did I, they swap I think they yeah they might, might have swapped and got rid of it yeah I actually don't know how they disposed of the last one but in 2002 wow. they actually the Lords did a whole new revamp on it and they got rid of the turf so they sold off chunks of turf to people so people all over the UK now have little bits of Lord's grass in their garden which they're growing one guy spent over a thousand pounds buying a huge but so his whole garden is Lord's ground that's cool and um, the group that you mentioned the MCC they made sure that they kept one very specific patch of grass that they gave to the location of the original Lord's from 188 years ago so sitting Aww. back there now, the grass has returned. So it's like a, cu- it's like it's a, a cutting. cutting that they yeah. can propagate and they can grow a new lords for the if the mm. if the current lords is destroyed or whatever. Yes, it's like <laughs> a, a seed bank. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see, Andy, people really like cricket it's as well. It's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> that must, yeah, people do. People um, just love sport. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so wet fields is a problem in all sports. Do you know how people dry baseball fields? Well, with the sponges, you said, the puddle sponges. They do it with the puddle sponges. I think that's a good way to do it. That's a recommended way. A non-recommended way, which there's been a space of lately, is people setting fire to them. (laughs) So (laughs) it's been really weird. Every couple of years it's reported in America. So in 2019 in Connecticut, there were 25 gallons of petrol dumped (sighs) on a baseball infield and lit. And it was just lit by 20 parents whose kids were playing the weekend. match to to get it going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Baseball strike. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> Would have also worked if it had been a bowling set yes. to a bowling alley. <laughs> but Hang on. So they, sorry, the, is this on the grassy bit or the muddy bit? The muddy bit. Oh, so there's no, okay, so there's no grass to destroy. That's good. Uh, that's true. Although it still does quite a lot of damage. It did $50,000 worth of damage, police uh, estimated, and mm, they advised people wow. not to do it. What, to the dirt? <laughs> <laughs> like, how valuable is this dirt? I'm sorry, sir, but the dirt's gone. Um, <laughs> however, will we replace the mud? Okay, it is time for fact number two, and that is Anna. My fact this week is that there's currently a court case going on in Ireland about whether stained glass windows are actually windows. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's a big deal. Can I ask, Anna, right? So you've read about this story. Mm-hmm. 
Do you land on the opinion that stained glass windows are windows or that they're not? Well, don't it, want to get into any subjudice here, but oh yeah, always a case happening in Ireland, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. if you're if you're listening in Ireland, turn the show off now. <laughs> Especially if you're on the jury for this case. <laughs> Uh, yeah, without wanting to sway any listeners at home, I, I wouldn't like to make a call because I've instinctively uh, sided with the victim, All right. um, which doesn't necessarily mean I've sided with the truth. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, that makes sense when you tell the story. Yeah, I should very, tell the story, that's shouldn't I? The very fact that you've decided which side is the victim, <laughs> I think, shows that you are biased. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Thank God I'm not on this jury. Anyway, this is all about a place called Bewley's Cafe, which you might know if you live in Dublin. It's in central Dublin. It's this famous old period building, beautiful building. The pièce de résistance in this building are six stained glass windows, and they were designed in 1927 by Ireland's most famous stained glass window maker, who I'm sure you know as Harry Clark. Oh, yeah. There's a bit of a problem because Bewley's, Bewley's Cafe, are just tenants. Um, and the people who own the building are called Ronan Group Real Estate. And Bewley's are in massive rent arrears. Not their fault, some would say. The rent has gone up massively over the last few years. Very okay, difficult to pay. Working out who the victim is. Okay, so, so they're in rent arrears of 700,000 euros. Okay. And the windows are worth about a million euros. And what Bewley's are arguing is that the windows are not windows, which means that the company that owns the building doesn't own the windows because yeah. they're not windows oh, okay. you own windows because they're part of a building yeah but these windows are works of art they're ah. chattels they're things that are held Got within it. the building so their argument is i'm afraid this big billionaire landlord group doesn't own the um movable chattels it's arguing they are movable uh yeah that and that might be where the court case falls down <laughs> <because> <laughs> It is quite difficult to move them, obviously. Anyway, they, so Beaulieu have made this offer. They've said to the guys who are the landlords, look, we won't pay the rent because we can't. But what we will do is... Um, Steal we, the windows. We'll sell them. <laughs> That's basically what Well, we said. see what side you're on. <laughs> the big billionaire business side. And Canada and I are both conforming to type. <laughs> <laughs> we will sell the windows on uh, to a company which will then donate them back to the cafe oh, yeah. and you are allowed to keep them yeah so they're, se- they're actually selling them to the state and then the state will donate them to the cafe and say okay you're allowed to keep them in the cafe that sounds like the good. landlords are like screw you we own the windows you can't sell us something that we already own yeah <sighs> feels a bit like they're right as in when when Bewley's arrived <laughs> did they knock out the existing windows and put in their own stained glass windows I don't think so right well Dan you raise a very interesting question because the people who owned it yep. originally were Bewley's and then they mm. sold it on they owned the stained glass windows and then they sold it and became tenants in the 80s right interesting oh, so that wow. does that does confuse matters they've somewhat sold it, so they've they've kind of sold the windows once and now they're suggesting they might Depends be Depends what's to... in the contract, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. it does, absolutely. Shit, I, maybe I... they haven't thought of checking the contract. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> uh, Bewley's, uh, yeah, like you say, really, um, you know, part of the furniture in Dublin, you know, mm-hmm. one of the most famous places, mentioned in a great work of art. Um, see if you can guess which, which it is. Ooh, I'll great. give you the quote. Yeah. Uh, Monica had gone home long ago. It was quarter to nine. Little Chandler had come home late for tea. Mm. Any ideas? Okay, well, well, yeah. Well, friends, but what is... What? <laughs> some, some no, sort of no. I don't know what you're talking about. They're just two characters in The Dubliners by James Joyce. Mm. But isn't it true, James, no. that, that the TV series Friends is part of the extended Dubliners universe? <laughs> I tried to look. I, I got the entire text of The Dubliners and searched for all the other characters. No, Gunter, you wouldn't believe it, would you? <laughs> Oh. Anyway, it says that little Chandler had come home late for tea and moreover he had forgotten to bring Annie home the parcel of coffee from Bewley's. So yeah, James oh. Joyce he used to go there and he mentioned it. That's oh. really cool. Oh. And isn't there an episode of Friends called the one where they sell the windows on dubious grounds <laughs> in order to get out of 700 grand in Central Perk's big yeah. uh, problem is <laughs> solved with that. <laughs> That's great. It was founded by the Bewley family, mm. um, but the Bewley family, the first people who were involved in uh, hot drinks, was a guy called Samuel Bewley, and he brought in a load of tea from um, China um, when the East India Company had a monopoly and the monopoly finished, and so people could suddenly buy tea in London. And he said, Well, why should we buy tea in London? We can just ship it straight over to Dublin. So he did that. And the reason he could do it is he had all these ships because he used to be a merchant of silkworm guts cool wow. isn't that cool I'm a, do you think he said I'm a silkworm gut merchant 
What's that? <laughs> I'm a silkworm cup merchant. <laughs> That's what I do. Do you know what they might use? I'd never heard of silkworm guts. No, I mean, either. I assume I mean, they, they had them. Are we talking about the actual parts of the silkworm that, yeah, that the make place the silk? That they digest stuff. Oh, is, is it like yeah? Is, is there equivalent to sausages for for them? Like <laughs> tiny little yeah, sausages. Little, tiny little sausages. <laughs> All the extra bits. That's a great thought. Could you, you could make a, a sort of silk making robot, and then when you implant the silkworm guts into it, oh, yeah? it is the crucial That's missing a really bit. Good Ooh, yeah. It is almost gettable, but probably not the kind of gut other animal guts. Cat gut. Cat guts you use oh, for instruments. Violins. Yeah. So how tiny is this guts? orchestra? <laughs> <laughs> Whenever someone says they're playing the tiniest violin in the world, <laughs> actually, silkworm guts. Have, uh, they were used for making fishing tackle, like fishing lines, wow. and also oh, really? to sew up cuts by surgeons. They used to use silkworm guts because it was really That's good. So thread. cool. Isn't that amazing? That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. It's got, oh, people are so clever. I stayed in a and b in Broadstairs once with, oh, yeah. with my wife and the guys who owned it, who ran it, they make their own stained glass and it's really beautiful and they were telling us about the process and I mentioned to my wife, Fenella, that we were going to be talking about this and she said, do you remember that thing they told us? They said that back in the medieval days when people made stained glass, they used to use the urine of red-headed boys as part of the, oh, wow. part of the yeah, formula for making it. What? And I found a couple of sources online that suggest that that it's true. Apparently, red-headed or ginger urine used to be, have magical properties, and they thought... Sorry, it was used to be thought that it had magical <laughs> properties. It didn't used to have magical properties. <laughs> when yes. do the redheads lose this amazing power? <laughs> Some say they've never lost it. Is that how Rod Weasley got into Hogwarts? <laughs> um, it does make sense, because the red-headed bit doesn't, but to make the paint in stained glass, it actually used to be made out of crushed glass and something like urine so it was it was really? either urine or wine they tended to mix it with huh. to make the paint to stain it i i did oh. believe it when you said it dan as well but i you believe it even more now that Anna said it. <laughs> i don't really believe it i do know That's guys what color can glass be stained stained glass be stained can any, you see colors any color oh, blue red green yellow you're green. all wrong you're all completely wrong what? The only staining you see on stained glass is brown or black or grey paint uh, stain. What? No. It's a big so old what? misnomer. What? So stained glass. This I is feel like that doesn't tally with my experience, but you, you know, know when you go to the church and all the windows are brown and black. <laughs> it just looks it like the birds have poodled out. Absolute yeah. symphony of browns. <laughs> yeah. God's light uh, makes you hallucinate all the ah. colours. No, the way you make the colours, the proper colours in stained glass is you mix up your glass mixture with certain metals that make certain colours. So like cobalt, I think, makes blue and... Um, what other different ones are there? Gold chloride makes red colour. So that's not staining. You're mixing it with a metal So that's at the you're start. making the glass rather than having existing exactly. clear glass and then painting that because that's exactly. one of the other techniques as well, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. So then you do that and that was the only way they made stained glass until I think about the 13th century. So stained glass wasn't actually stained and then they came up with this idea of kind of painting it with this paint they made and all that does is this, add the shading which I didn't realise stained glass involved is the black lines that you see that create the kind of textures and all the shading which makes it look more realistic mm. and that's all just in brown and brown and grey huh. I did not just know for that the glass great. nerds out there the palace of Westminster uh, they have stained glass there uh, and basically this is a story about the British um, Harry Clark who, what I think is the British Harry Clark and that's mm. a woman called Mary Lowndes uh, she was a stained glass artist uh, and she was like one of the main people of the arts and crafts in the UK okay now she also established the artist suffrage league and they did all of the posters and placards and Christmas cards for suffrage events uh, one of them that she did in particular was the mud march in 1907 this was the largest ever march for women's suffrage uh, they brought wow. people in from all the different towns of the UK and they all had banners and so if you were from Bolton you would have like a banner with something to do with Bolton in it like a pasty or something I don't know but it would be like from each place it would be something to do with them and she designed all of these wow. this stained glass artist and in the palace of westminster um window number four has a stained glass of the mud march which is what she did all of the banners for so it kind of comes around cool. in a nice circle right. that's cool isn't it that's and great. then in, on the window, is there an individual little bit of stained glass of all of the banners? No. <laughs> it's just like a general kind of okay. picture of the mud march. Because it was really muddy that day. And they well, they went through, I don't know, like St. James's and stuff. But okay. it was really, really muddy. And all the pictures in the newspapers were of all these 
muddy, angry suffragettes. Oh. Really? Tragically, they didn't have jet engine technology <laughs> to dry them out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's Westminster Abbey obviously has a lot of stained glass windows oh, yeah. as well. There's loads. When we're talking mm-hmm. central yeah. London. Dozens. And um, it has a recent one that has been added a few years back by, can anyone guess? An artist. An artist. Um, Tracy Emin. No, uh, but like a good guess. That's no, as good a guess no. as any. I know you? what those stains would have been made of. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was all brown, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, um, Damien Hurst. No, so David. Gunter von, Gunter von Hagen's. No. Oh, that would have been good. I know someone flayed, you know, someone yeah, lots yeah, of yeah. Pinks, oh, yeah, pinks yeah. and reds. What and, yeah. about, um, who is the guy who did the Angel of the North? Oh, yeah. Um, What's he called? His name's Anthony Gormley. Anthony Gormley. Anthony Gormley. It's his face. Because really? he's in everything that he does, right? Is he? So it's a big picture of him. His face in Westminster Abbey. Ah, oh, great idea, but no, yeah, ah. but great idea. Was it Gormley? Well, I just said no. Okay, great, okay, great. Um, uh, more artists. Who's that guy who did all the cartoony stuff? Rolf um, Harris. Uh, with all the colours. <laughs> Rolf Harris, they brought him back into the game. Uh, who did cartoons? Oh, and who did the cans? Oh, uh, Andy Warhol. Warhol. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. No, this is just one. a couple of years ago. So he's, oh, right, he's okay. dead. Just a couple of years ago. Okay. A couple yeah. of years ago. An artist. We can get this, Andy. <laughs> oh, Neil art. Buchanan from Art Attack. Yeah. Oh, it's a great idea. <gasps> no. no. Banksy. Oh, who a lovely idea, some no. people think is Neil Buchanan. Exactly. That's oh, why yes. I thought of it. Yeah. Right. So but no. No, no okay. okay. A modern artist is not Banksy or Neil Buchanan. Yeah. Is it someone who's, who's says they're an artist like Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones who does paint in his spare time? Technically, oh, he does so. great art. Yeah. Oh, oh, Vic Reeves. Oh, that would be very cool as well. Or no. Grayson Perry. Or yeah, yeah no. Grayson Perry. Uh, no, I've already just said it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, is it Harry, it Harry Clark, Clark, the greatest um, <laughs> state glass window guy from Ireland? No, it's not. Uh, um, Dan, I actually do need. I do have plans tonight. <laughs> well, I was. I've been ready to tell it a while ago. Detective Harkin and Murray <laughs> insist on cracking the case. Okay, guys, 12 more guesses each, okay? And then, and then I have to move us on. I'm begging you, please, Dan. Put these guys out of their I misery. I think who it might be. Just because we've gone this far, I'm going to give you the initials. Great. D.H. David, David Hurst. Hurst. D- no. David Hockney. Yes. David Hockney. <laughs> David Hockney. Oh, my God. That's so predictable. Did he do it on his iPad? Because that's what he does these days. Yes, he did. Did he? Yeah, yeah, so it's called the Queen's Window. It's 28 feet by 12 feet. And it looks... When I saw it, I was like, my God, it looks like someone's done that on their phone. And it kind of turns out he has. And he designed it. Certainly phoned it in. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I've just, I actually read about this in my research. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you knew this already? I could have saved an hour of everyone's time. Oh, that's oh, good. Yeah, so he, he, and he didn't even really come over to do it. He sent <laughs> over the drawing. He sat at home on his phone for a bit. <laughs> he was on the like, toilet. Have you guys seen, like, the David Hockney's that he does on his iPad? Mm. Yeah. Like, I'm sure they're great works of art. They genuinely look like they've been done by children. And this they? looks like, no different. Really? It's, I, I'd love to see this in person just to see if it's a bit more vibrant. But when you see a photo of it, it looks like I'm a big fan of Hockney, but... Yeah, yeah. Are, like, no, but I agree. These iPad drawings are very much... They yeah. look quite... Uh, Microsoft Word kind of, you know, or like Microsoft Weird. Art. Microsoft Paint. <laughs> Microsoft Paint, not Word. <laughs> Quite impressive to do it in Microsoft Word. <laughs> okay, it is time for fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that Hard Rock Cafe is owned globally by a group of Native Americans. So weird. This is pretty incredible. This is the Seminole tribe. Uh, they're in Florida. And um, back in 2006, I believe it was, they bought for $965 million the entire group of Hard Rock Cafe. So that's Goodness. all the cafes, it's the hotels, it's the casinos. And they are now the owners, not only of Hard Rock Cafe, but this group of Native Americans are also mm. the owners of the greatest collection of rock and roll memorabilia in the world. Brilliant. So they have been buying up things like casinos and yeah, hotels yeah, ever yeah. since the late 1970s. And this purchase is just part of their catalog of ever-growing business ventures. And Sem- the Seminole Tribe, uh, it's worth putting into context who they are, they came into existence properly in the 1950s. And what it was was a disparate group of Native Americans. That feels late. It was very late. They've, I mean, you know, the, the peoples that make up the, yeah. the, the group with this name of Seminole, 
they've been around 12,000 years in America right. and they were all little groups of uh, Native American tribes that were sort of being pushed out further away by white people coming into America and they made a decision to sort of form together and sort of create a body where you officially would become the Seminole. Well, like a super group. Mm. Yes, yeah. Like cream. They are like the, the cream. traveling Wilburys. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, there's a lot of traveling Wilburys and cream memorabilia in Hard Rock Cafe <laughs> as a sort of solidarity. The Seminole people, though, of course, you know, they've been around for a very, very long time. That's not a new name. The Seminole tribe that was set up in 1957 was a collection of other tribes coming together and banding under that name. And are they, they basically, the, the claim on the Seminole tribe website is that they are the only people who never surrendered to the white invaders, basically. Yeah. And um, that was true of the Seminole people in the 19th century. They had the Seminole Wars, which were a massive deal in the US throughout the 19th century. I think there were three big Seminole Wars. And it was this thing where presidents like Andrew Jackson, very famous for persecuting Native Americans and others kind of went to war with them and tried to force them west because obviously they suddenly wanted all the eastern land so forced loads of them west but a bunch of the Seminole people rather than being forced out of Florida where they wanted to be kind of retreated into the Everglade marshes yeah the Seminole traditions I read that there are four particular Seminole traditions which are sewing patchwork building chickies which are small wooden houses on stilts kind of traditional and, structures and bidding on big multinational <laughs> businesses <laughs> the fourth one is wrestling alligators oh, oh yes that's a, if, I, I just wonder if it's like sewing patchwork building small wooden structures and wrestling alligators that's the hardest of the badges to get when you're in seven <laughs> boy scouts isn't it <laughs> i just feel like there might be some kind of sorting hat procedure as a young yeah. seminole <laughs> like alligators can i put the hat on again please <laughs> Should we talk about Hard Rock Cafe? So it was started by Peter Morton and another guy called Isaac Tigret. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Yeah. And Isaac Tigret, clearly a massive rock and roll fan, actually married the first wife of Ringo Starr. Not no Ma- way. Maureen. Maureen. He married Maureen. Someone's read this fact. I just know about, you I just just, know about Ringo's, just know marriages. Ringo's marital history. <laughs> not, do I have to I be think if I'd known that before, I would have remembered his first wife was called Maureen. That's the kind of, you know, it's an unusual name. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maureen Starkey. So Maureen, um, and they broke up because she had an affair with George Harrison. Huge scandal. Wait, Ringo and Ringo Maureen and, or, or No, Ringo Peter and, and Maureen broke right. up when, when she was found Crumbs. Right, with really? George Harrison. Yeah, like... Uh, so that's that's just a bit of goss for you guys there. And are you saying because you say he's clearly a massive um, <laughs> breaking news? <laughs> what a scoop! A lot of the memorabilia, yeah, is not is it not all hard rock? As in, I think of hard rock as being even harder than normal rock. Yeah, like Slipknot or something, right? Right. And it's not, they don't have a lot of kind of death metal or no. doom drone based mm. uh, Right, and I think people would be less willing to eat in their restaurants. <laughs> I certainly would if they did. I'm just dead oh, rats yeah. pinned yeah. If Cradle of Filth was playing over the <laughs> sound system. Yeah. You're right, you're right. But Wings, Paul McCartney's band Wings, yeah. debuted at the London branch, the original branch of the Hard Rock really? Cafe. Yeah. yeah, Probably what can you get as a starter at Hard Rock Cafe? <laughs> the Paul McCartney. <laughs> <laughs> One waitress says that when they did debut, they all the waiting staff put uh, cotton wool in their ears so that they could keep did the noise they? out while they serve people. Well, this, wow. this waitress well. who said this mm-hmm. is a waitress, you can, and she still works it. So I walked past it on the way to the QI office today. I did walked you? past the Hard Rock. Just to, I just thought, I want to see this. This was opened in 1971. This was the, the landmark spot where it was opened. Yeah. And when they opened, they had a waitress working there who was called Rita Gilligan. And she has an MBE. And mm. She still works there. She's seriously fun, isn't she? Yeah. Um, and has such good goss. Because I didn't quite realise that every musical celebrity you've ever heard of has eaten in hard rock cafes. Is this in your contract when you join a band? So, you know, she said, um, she actually said, I've served the Beatles, the Stones, Freddie Mercury, Eric Clapton, Pete Townsend. And then she says, take that and the Carnabies. Which seems like an incredibly steep decline. I've actually never heard of the car. No, no the I hadn't either. Who and I looked they? them up and they don't even have a bloody Wikipedia page. Okay. So. <laughs> wow. I think she's probably pushing think- a band that she's managing. <laughs> you actually, that I wonder if that might be a misprint for the Cranberries. I yes. wondered if it was the Cranberries, but then there is That's a band like called it. the Carnabies that have played in the Hard Rock Cafe, oh, okay. I think it's part of their brand. So she's trying to slip them in maybe That's with right. these big names. And she, she supposedly turned down Posh Spice for a job. Rita when I, she came in I love this story <laughs> yeah. you tell it I don't know the full story well it's, it's there's not much more to it than that but she Rita Gilligan claims that Victoria Beckham applied for a job at the Hard Rock Cafe as a uh, hostess or whatever shortly before the Spice Girls took off but that she was rejected for being too quiet 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so she went and got a job at um, Bill Wyman's restaurant, Sticky Fingers, instead. Oh, but it feels, she was like, no. Oh, what? <laughs> well, it's named after a Rolling Stones album. Yeah, I just didn't know. I didn't would have chosen one of the others. I don't know any of the other albums, but I reckon all of them would be a better name. Than that, <laughs> yeah, well, they would. In association with They've them, got an yeah. album called Beggar's Banquet. That's quite oh, a perfect. kind of fun, cool name for a restaurant. But no, Sticky Fingers. Yeah, but this is the weird thing. So there's Rita Gilligan who worked there since 1971 and it was still there a couple of years ago. There's also another waitress from the Hard Rock Cafe called Delia Lees who worked there for 48 years and she got a job two weeks after it opened and she's 80 now and she still does two days a week. Wow. So I think there are two of them who have yeah. been there for 50 years. Wow. This is like bloody QI. There's no turnover <laughs> of staff. <laughs> 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 that reminds me, there was, um, I only half remember this story, but at the Savoy, um, there was two very famous um, waiters who worked behind the bar, oh. and they, two women, and they both worked there for about 60 years or something, wow. and they knew everyone, um, but they stopped talking after about five years of working together, and then <laughs> no just stopped being friends, and then they didn't really see each other because they were on shifts, but literally didn't talk for like 30 years. That's wow. so funny. That's so funny. Well, we have a similar thing on the podcast, don't we? Because actually, if you listen carefully back to all the episodes, you'll notice that Anna and Dan have not said anything to each other on the show <laughs> yeah. for the last five years. If you notice that when we were doing that guessing game, Anna wasn't given any names. Yeah. Was she? There was only me and Andy shouting for <laughs> half an hour. It's long term so beef. Listen out for that. Um, Rita, by the way, she got her job in 1971, and it happened when her husband was reading the Evening Standard, and he shouted to her, "They're looking for people like you." And she went, "Oh, are they?" And she went over, and the advert read, "Older women wanted." <laughs> Late thirties, forties, and fifties, and she was only twenty nine when she went. Oh. That is such a horrible thing to say. Yeah. Did she have to put talcum powder in her hair? And, and, you know, well, and actually, when she sick. went there, she said, um, "You know, I'm looking for a job." And one of the co-founders, Peter Morton, said, "No, you know, you're you're too young. You're too young for wow. this." And she said, "I'm the best you're gonna get, so you better take me." Mm. And wow. he said, "Yeah, cool. You're hired." Do we? Yeah. Yeah. Is it known why they wanted women in their late thirties, forties, fifties, and so on? I suspect that what they were trying to do is they were trying to get American diners in the UK because there wasn't anywhere that you could mm. there was no McDonald's then there was nothing like that right. they wanted to have a place where you could get burgers and stuff like that and, if and there's that to... cliche of being sold by sort of a 65 yeah. year old yeah. widow yeah. Yeah. matronly like happy days kind of yeah. thing yeah. Yeah. if you go to any diner in America and you, you have breakfast there there's always a woman who's you know in her you know middle age coming yeah. around with a with a pot of coffee and tipping you up and topping you up and I think that was just the cliche right? yeah. mm-hmm. tipping you up and topping you up <laughs> <laughs> she inverts you on your chair they're very strong <laughs> <laughs> Isaac Tigret was a devotee of an Indian guru back when those Indian oh. gurus were a big deal mm. um, and this one was uh, Satya Sai Baba and so yeah the chain was founded by him and he obviously brought the spiritual side to Hard Rock Cafe and then this guy called Peter Morton who um, was the son of a founder of Morton's Steakhouse who brought oh. the steak side um, so the motto of the Hard Rock Cafe is love all serve all apparently oh, must that be... sounds like a tennis term it doesn't it <laughs> You never say serve all in tennis. Love all. Serve all. It's have like you what you might say just before the game starts. Yeah. yeah. Anna, have you not seen the serve all bit of a tennis match where everyone gets to serve at the same time? It's chaotic, but it's the points but that's rack up. that actually happens before, right? They do a warm-up where they both serve at each other. Yes. Yeah, right. That's technically that's known the as the love all, serve all bit. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> it was originally a chain of tennis courts. That would be such that's an improvement cool. to tennis. I mean, te- like... Cricket has had the T20 revolution. I think tennis needs a like a Jeopardy round where everyone can serve as many balls as they can yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And you yes. just have to stand there and if it hits you in the balls, then that's part of the game. That's, yeah, well, then that's, you're that's 40 love. <laughs> anyway, this guy who um, inspired uh, Hard Rock Cafe, this Sai Baba, he was quite interesting. I didn't know about him. He was a massive deal in India. 500,000 people went to his funeral. Whoa. Sachin Tendulkar cancelled his birthday birthday really? when the year that he the died wait um, sorry yeah. he he cancelled his birthday <laughs> he's now actually one year younger than everyone thinks he is that just feels like an, an anti-aging trick by Sachin Tendulkar I know sneaky right what, what do you gonna, mean he cancelled well he cancelled his birthday party he they didn't were going to go to Hard Rock Cafe yeah. <laughs> so he, he uninvited everyone he didn't have a cake he didn't oh. have a party he didn't have a party right. he didn't even celebrate no one even sung to him because uh, he was so sad about this spiritualist dying wow. Gosh. and he claimed that he was a proper god like omnipotent omniscient and the tri- he did loads of amazing tricks 
apparently. And he... Have you got some, some examples for us? Uh, there was a terminally ill woman. Uh, she needed treatment. Okay. It could only be given in Japan. And so she went and visited this guy and said, I need this treatment to save my life. It can only be treated in Japan. And he pointed at a door <laughs> and said, walk through that door. And she walked through the door. It was <laughs> <laughs> So glad I'm so glad I set my office up next to this branch of trail finders. God, what happened? I'm, I'm ten times. And it was Japan. What? what? She walked through the door and she was in Japan. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Don't say cool like you believe it though. It's Dan. a cool story. It's, it's a really an incredible cool incredible story. story. It's like Narnia for the modern day. Yes. Um and, isn't that and amazing? quite a claim. And yeah, and then what happened? Well, I, that's sort of where his tale ends. You assume, I suppose, yeah, she was I in mean, Japan. She's and... in Japan. Well, how's he supposed to know what happened? That's true. <laughs> he can't go through the door. He He's can't not. go through the door. Okay, so he didn't leave the door open. He so just sent, he, he closed he the sent door. her and closed the door. Otherwise, everyone leaves India and goes to Japan. You know? So this woman, <laughs> trapped who's in a quite closet. ill, has just ended up in, I presume, a random bit of Japan. Because <laughs> the door already led to Japan. It can't have led to the specific clinic she needs. She's now trapped in a foreign country. She's now illiterate because Japanese is a different yeah, alphabet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an incredibly very upsetting sick. and busy place. She's very... He doesn't come off brilliantly she's in this story. She doesn't have a rail card because you can get rail cards in Japan that help you go around. Foreigners, you can get them especially. But well, she's she now... Had one, she's wanted by the authorities because she's not in the country legally. She hasn't got a visa or whatever you How need. How did you get here? Who's going to believe that? So that's Should... why you've got to be very careful what you wish for. Yes. <laughs> Oh, it's one of those stories. <laughs> okay, it is time for our final fact of the show, and that is James. Okay, my fact this week is that when female seals have sex, they have a special muscle in their vagina that can clamp around their partner to stop seawater from getting in. That means that in order to create a seal, they first need to create a seal. Wow. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> Fabulous. Oh, God. Is it feel, sex sex feel... does always create a seal, really, doesn't it? Oh. Or, but, but do these ones clamp these particularly ones clamp hard? On, yeah. yeah. These it, are like proper muscles in the vagina. It feels like a wise saying that the seals have, doesn't it? <laughs> Yes. To create a seal, you must first create a seal. Yes, you know that's I can the birds that. and the bees chat, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, Mr. Miyagi, the seals and the seals. Yeah. <laughs> and what would happen if they didn't have the seal? Would they flood? They <laughs> might. God, they, they sink to the bottom. Yeah. Sorry, tragic. They you would... have to get a jet engine to blow all the water out of them. Let me quickly say where I got this. So I was honestly, this was a speculative search. Thinking, I wonder if seals have seals, uh, and I found this paper called "Reproductive Biology of Seals" by Shannon Atkinson, where they describe this. Uh, but basically, it's just to stop seawater getting in, pebbles getting in, and if you think about, they basically have a very similar reproductive system to humans. So they, you know, you know, vagina, cervix uterus blah 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 mm. and if you look at a whale for instance they have quite a long sort of maze like structure in between that kind of stops anything from getting in there yeah but they have like basically like the human uh, reproductive system it's pretty much straight up and straight down so they need something to stop stuff from getting in there mm. and there are a few different ways of doing this but the way they do it is with these folds which have special muscles in and the muscles can clamp around the penis so that when the semen gets in no C gets it. <laughs> <laughs> feel like, feel like you're feel like you're pushing it a bit further this time. Um, the seals are great, and we should talk about seals. Oh, they're amazing. Hardly ever talked about them, so let's talk about yeah. them. Yeah, you know they they basically don't need eyes or ears. Really? Excuse me. They're, they're whiskers. <laughs> Phenomenal whiskers that yeah. seals have. And they do have eyes and ears. They have eyes and ears, clear, and they use yeah. them. Yeah. If they didn't have them, they could basically operate because yeah. well, their Does... whiskers are so unbelievably sensitive. Oh yeah. I, so let's say we know that cats use their whiskers or rats use their whiskers. Mm. They've got two hundred nerve endings on their on their whiskers. Cats okay. and rats, right? A seal has about a thousand five hundred. Basically, what it means is that if they were swimming through the ocean mm. and they couldn't see or hear, and they needed to work out where the precise location of the fishes that they wanted to eat mm. they could just use their whiskers to feel the vibrations the little movements of the water that are being pushed through the whisker and and pinpoint it and, it and get amazing. to them and pinny pad point it yes oh, yes lovely and the other thing is they can tell uh, if a fish has gone past 30 seconds ago 
they can tell by the vibration in the water where the fish was using their whiskers and they go oh there was a fish here 30 seconds ago and they can follow the trail of where the fish has been mm. and then with their whiskers and go down and the other thing is wow. not just the whiskers like a cat which is where their nose is yeah. they can also do this with their eyebrows because oh, they have whiskers nice. on their eyebrows so they can hunt fish with their eyebrows God, that is pretty that's amazing pretty that's, cool. that's also why old men are so good at fishing yes. isn't it <laughs> <laughs> there was an experiment on the whiskers it was by the University of Rostock and it was about how harbour seals they find flatfish so flatfish hide under the sand so they're not very visible but there are these tiny movements of their gills because they are breathing in and out very slightly and the seals use their whiskers to find the flatfish and eat them for the experiment the scientists found some seals they created some fake flatfish under the water to be the bait and then they blindfolded the seals yeah. mm. how it's, cool that is a better way of doing it because the first person probably to do most of this work was a woman called Dean Renolf and she did it by snipping off the whiskers of the oh. seals and you wouldn't be able to do that now mm. uh, but this was in the 70s and she was really into it. she loved her seals and stuff like you know obviously now to modern modern ears it sounds quite bad but she really loved her seals apparently you could see the seal walking behind her in the university when she was walking to her no lectures way. and stuff I was listening to a really good podcast which interviews someone called Dr Alex Milne who has such a great job she's a sensory biologist specialising in pinniped whiskers <laughs> um, and she was saying we don't know this but seal whiskers are curly they've got like wavy hair as opposed mm. to sea lions and walruses who are sort of the, the other pinnipeds um, and we think that is to sense the undulations of the water though we're not no. totally sure but anyway she did this um, she's done lots of experiments with um, seal you know playing with seals and seeing how sensitive their whiskers are and playing with them balancing balls on their whiskers and so you get balls of lots of different sizes and then you watch what their whiskers do so if you've got a small ball and then a big ball which do you yeah. think involves you know it points its whiskers towards them to balance mm, yeah. um, and then which would use more whiskers uh, the, the, the big, big ball. ball more area yeah. and that's incorrect oh yeah the little ball there you go Dan Dan's got it Dan's, Dan's how did you work it. that out you've got to use the method of wait for people to answer wrongly and then get in there I tried to do that with the artist but we didn't go through every artist in the world um, it's, so it's the same physics which means it's easier to spin a big ball around on one finger right than balance oh, a little ball that's clever um, and so the, the smaller the prey the more oh. whiskers it takes so if they're chasing prey in the water the same thing happens they focus more whiskers towards a smaller prey to yeah, try and pinpoint it's right. where it is because I know you're looking a bit sceptical Andy but you mm. see basketball players spinning a ball on the yeah. finger you don't see table tennis players doing it do you? no I don't I've actually no true. I've never yeah I've never thank you James. <laughs> but bulls get heavier the bigger they get. Yeah, to a certain extent, like once they're so big they crush your fingers, then you have to. Yeah, a basketball versus a ping pong ball, for example, yeah. would, I would feel, require more whiskers purely for the weight of it. Yeah. So we must be talking beach balls. They use their nose as well. Um, but oh, okay. I think um, it is, I think the, the whiskers are sort of for balance. But yeah, yeah. I think it, it probably is beach balls. Seals are the ones with the balls on their noses, aren't they? Yeah. 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 They always have a ball on their nose. Yeah. 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 And dolphins do as well, often. Yes. Ah, it's not a vintage dolphin thing, though. No. I no. think when I think of dolphins, I think of dolphins like, jumping through hoops. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Being really clever. Yeah. Yeah. Playing chess. Yeah, yeah. But they are the only two animals, so it's weird that you say it's not a vintage dolphin thing when it's so clearly. Is... No, it's such a seal thing though to have a ball on your nose. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. I do. Agree not, I don't think it's a dolphin thing at all. <laughs> it is. No, it is a dolphin thing. Well, I think it's on its way out. <laughs> <laughs> they gave people TB. Tuberculosis in mm. South America uh, is believed to come from seals. No way. Now, I know this sounds like elephants built the roads in Cornwall. Uh-huh. I appreciate it sounds like that. <laughs> but no, there's a, there's a, a bioarchaeologist, never heard of that job before either, called uh, Jane Buickstra. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. From the Columbian Institute of Anthropology and History. Because TB got to South America with colonists 500 years ago, but there have been bones found much older, which also have TB, and it doesn't look like they came over with the original humans, you know, 10,000 years ago, whenever it was, mm -hmm. because it spreads from south to north, not north to south, which is not the order you would expect it to go in. Right. And Hang on, sorry, I'm confused. So the colonists brought the TB over, but there are also seals that are older with but TB in their But there was pre-existing human TB found right. in samples, in bones, and if it had come with the original arrivers 10,000 years ago mm -hmm. it would have gone from north to south but it right. didn't it went south to north mm. um, and so the theory is that 
it came over with seals, which might have been, you know, eaten, hunted and eaten, and right. the bacteria survived there because TB arose in Africa. Interesting. And somehow seals got it, is the theory, took it to South America, gave it to humans. And then they right. met on the way down. Presumably the humans coming down met the TB Maybe. on the way up. An yeah. awkward dinner. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> but sometimes zookeepers these days get TB from the seals in their care. Oh, do really? they? It doesn't always well, happen. They need to not get so close, well, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys seen Andre the Seal? No. No. Okay, seriously? Yeah, seriously. Right. No. I kind of thought everyone watched that as a kid. Oh, well, it was a TV, oh, TV, TV show. show. It's a film. Oh, oh no, 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 I've not seen it. Okay, well, this oh, I, think I, saw the, I think I saw the play. <laughs> 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 yeah, that was to shut down animal rights grounds within a couple of days, wasn't it? Did they mention the vagina thing? <laughs> yeah, it was about that. It was weird because it was it? you and it was marketed <laughs> at children. Um, well, Andre the Seal, for those who've seen it, it was a very famous film in our childhoods for a brief period of time. We all watched it. It wasn't very good. And it was the true story of a seal who befriended a tree surgeon, which you wouldn't have thought their lives <laughs> collide. <laughs> Met a cricket match. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a hell of a meat cute you've yeah. got to engineer. Um, yeah, I don't know how. Maybe the forest was flooded. Anyway, seal befriended a tree surgeon. <laughs> was that in the pitch meeting, they go. So this is the story. The seal meets this guy. We've seen that a million times. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> the guy's a tree surgeon. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> um, True. Befriended this seal. And it's um, a true story. Between 1961 and 1986. Yeah, so this guy was also into diving, met this seal. Uh, it had been abandoned by its mother. And so it took it in and sort of raised it for a few weeks, thinking it would return to the wild. Tried to return it to the wild. Oh, no. And the seal loved him so much. Oh. He just stuck around. Stuck around for like 25 years. But what, like in the bath? Or don't they need lots of water? Seals? It would come up to his house and hang out in his house in the day and then flop back down to the harbour and then he'd go swimming with it. Wow. And it went in this aquarium anyway they made this film about it and do you know what species of seal they used in the film uh, there's, seal, no there's, a, there's an elephant seal a, 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 what's a the name of the film seal? Dan what were you going to say no because I realised I was saying not a, well, saying a sea lion you're absolutely correct you're kidding they used a not seal Right. And how bullshit is that? As if they That's... couldn't be bothered to find a seal. They do look quite similar. It's all in the ears. But anyway, they, the filmmakers wanted to coordinate with the aquarium who raised Andre in the winters, and the aquarium refused. Bigger, I think, sea lions, right? I think I've they're both they the are bigger. Yeah. bigger. Although you can get huge seals. Elephant seals uh, are massive. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The key apparently is that um, mm. seals have um, ears that are just holes, I think. Yeah, seals um, are kind of more round-headed. So seals can remember what they have just done and repeat it on command. Mm -hmm. uh, as long as you ask them within 18 seconds of the original <laughs> thing. Okay. <laughs> I said a cup of tea. <laughs> uh, but so this good. is unusual because not many people can do this, right? This is a study... I by... think most people can do this. Most people. <laughs> <laughs> well, I might come to that. So this is um, a study by Simeon Smeal at the University of Southern Denmark in Odense. Uh, and basically they asked them to do one thing and then they asked them to do it again after 18 seconds um, but they could still do the thing they said repeat they didn't say do this thing again they said right. repeat oh. and they managed to do it mm, okay. uh, and what was quite interesting is the guy in charge of it Smeal said that this is really they did a really good job because what you have to understand is that this is a very very repetitive study and even the human trainers and assistants had a hard time remembering what they had just asked <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> you end up with a human and a seal just staring at each other <laughs> what was it we supposed to do I can't remember <laughs> That's it. That's all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Anna. You can email podcast.qi.com. Yep. Or you can go to our group account, which is at no such thing, or our website, no such thing as a fish.com. All of our previous episodes are up there. Do check them out and do come back next week because we will be back with another episode to play to your ears. We'll see you then. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>